today we are continuing um, our sermon series in Advent. It's that time of year. Uh, is it starting to feel more like Christmas to you now? Like this is like week three. Like, <laughs> and the fact that Paul's kind of like, when is Christmas? It, it's it's soon. It's coming up. Like if, if, if you weren't already nervous and, and kind of stressing out over the holidays, this is the week it will kick in. Okay, this is the week. I know in our home, like we had family over last night, so we had to do a massive blitz to actually clean the house, you know, because we don't have as many people over as like as we used to. So we used to have to clean every single week. Well, we don't clean every single week now. We clean every like two and a half years, or it feels like a little bit, right? So we have that event. We got Samantha coming home from university next week, so I got to actually remember. <laughs> I actually have to pick her up, and I got to remember that. We have all the meetings that are kind of happening we got we like and i've shared this before we have family that kind of live all over the place so if you ever seen the movie four christmases and thought that was hilarious that's my life okay of running around and dealing with kind of different family and trying to meet and connect with different family that starts for us next week and so there's so much hustle and bustle that can happen this time of year and one of my absolute favorite things about the Christmas season really is Christmas music. I love Christmas music. And I was just reflecting as this week's topic is joy. Just think for a moment. Let's have a little bit of audience participation here this morning. For those in the room, you can shout shout it out. Those of you at church online, you can just type it out in the chat. But I want you to just shout out the name of a song from Christmas that talks about joy, whether in the title or in the lyrics. Joy to the world. That one's, that's the easy one, right? That one's right there. That's one of the big ones. What else? I have lots of time. So I actually wrote less notes today to fill in this gap. So I could stay here a while. What else? Joy, got joy to the world. What was that? Seven Joys of Mary. I don't even know that one. I'm going to have to Google that afterwards. That whole new Christmas music. Awesome. What about, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. What's that? Heard someone shout over here? Oh, you're singing the rest. Okay, that's great. Oh, holy night. It has that line. Oh, sweet hymns of joy. Joy's all over the place. Hark the herald angels sing. Grumpy and miserable, they go to the newborn king. No, joyful, all ye nations rise. (laughs) Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now you got to have the trumpets and the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun behind this. See, joy plays such a crucial part of the Christmas story. It's a huge, huge component of it. And I'm going to confess, my life isn't always filled with joy this time of year. It's a very stressful time of year. It's a very busy 
time of year. And even in the hustle and bustle of church ministry, when we're trying to create environments for people to experience God's joy, we have financial stuff that we got to figure out. We got end of year giving. We got to, we're working on next year's budget. We got Christmas Eve services to plan. We have holidays to figure out. We have all of this hustle and bustle that happens when the ultimate goal is to gather as the children of God and for a brief moment, whether it's an hour on Sunday, whether it's for 10 minutes on a Wednesday evening when you're home alone, to find and experience joy. See, that's my great desire this time of year is to experience the pleasure and the love of God in such a way that it fills my life with joy. And so that's what I want us to explore together today. When we say the word joy, if you were to look it up in a dictionary, this is how the Webster Dictionary defines joy. It's the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Again, it's the emotion of great deloy, a great deloy, deloy, what's deloy? Put your glasses on, presso. There you go. Great delight. Oh, delight. Okay, I can see it now. Happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. That is what joy is all about. Whether you experience that joy with family and friends or food or gifts And those things are all good things, but ultimately that's not what this season is about. And if we try to find our joy simply in those things, those things will disappoint. Those things will let us down. And those things are good things and can bring some temporary joy into our life. But ultimately all of these songs that we sing about this time of year, that's not what it's talking about. And so as we continue this series, what I'd like us to do is read from a passage in Romans chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote to the church in the city of Rome. Now, Rome is the center of the entire world at this point. It's where the greatest army in the world lives. It is the conquering army that from Rome that went out into the whole known world and basically put everybody under the rule of Caesar. And the apostle Paul is a Roman citizen. And he is a part of that work of seeing churches start in this city, in a city that would have a lot of uh, political influence, a lot of financial um, influence, military influence, and religious influence as well. As that's in Rome, that's where you find all the temples of all the different gods in this major city, in this, this great nation there. And so Paul writes there, Uh, writes to this church to encourage the church, to encourage them. And And he has these great words here that I think are so crucial for us to remember every day, but especially, I think, even more so in these times when we're trying to experience this joy as this working definition from the dictionary gives us. So let me read here from Romans chapter 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Excuse me, it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement 
give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring, to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God in his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing your pra- the praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah said, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that closing verse here in verse 13. We get three out of the four Advent words right there in this short little verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome and to the church in Ottawa, in the church wherever people are joining us from around the world with Church Online. See, Paul wrote this to, he wrote this probably in around 57 AD, and it was most likely written while he was in the city of Corinth on one of his missions trips there. And um, we don't know specifically the reasons why Paul wrote this. And a lot of his other writings, when you study them, you, you can figure out what was going on in, in the church because Paul is addressing a specific issue or a specific tension that the church was dealing with. We don't have that as clear in the book of Romans. But one thing that does really jump out is Paul's constant reminder on the importance of unity. It's a theme that comes up again and again and again all throughout this letter. And as you study what was going on in that ancient time, so you would have had a bunch of Jewish people living in Rome, worshiping God, and then they would have been waiting for their coming Messiah, And then at one point in Roman history, Caesar actually decreed that all the Jewish people must leave Rome. They were not allowed to be there. And so you had Gentiles who started believing in the God of the Jews. And they're worshiping God. And then the Jewish people leave. The Gentiles are left behind. They start hearing about the Messiah. And then they're worshiping. And then Caesar started letting the Jewish people return back to their home. And so these churches had started off with just primarily Gentile people, and now Jewish people are coming back. <laughs> and you can get how it could potentially create a whole lot of disunity. 
because we can read about this in many other places in your New Testament, on the tension that Gentiles and Jewish people had in worshiping together, arguing over what food you're allowed to eat, arguing over circumcision, and should all men be circumcised in order to prove their faith. We don't put that in the membership class here at our church. Praise be to God. Okay. But all of these huge tension points that these two different groups of people would be dealing with. And so Paul puts a big, big emphasis on this importance of unity. That we are all one. See, and what makes us all one is not the color of our skin. It's not the background that we come from. It's not that we all have the same economic, you know, um, standing and we all make the same amount of money. We all think the same. We all speak the same language. What makes all of humanity one is the fact is that all of humanity is stuck and trapped in sin. And we are united in our sinfulness. And we, as an entire planet, are completely, totally unified in the fact that we can never, ever, ever save ourselves from our sin. All of us are equal. All of us are equally sinful. All of us are equally separated from God. Every human being on the planet no matter where you're from, no matter what your religious background is, no matter how much money you have. And the reason why Paul is able to write to the church and encourage them about joy. Again, when you look at this definition of joy, right? Something exceptionally good or satisfying has happened to this humanity trapped in sin, this humanity that could do nothing, nothing to earn salvation, to pay for their sin, to please a holy, perfect, righteous God. Nothing we could do. An exceptionally good thing happened. Jesus was born. Because God loves you so much. That God loves the world so much. He's not leaving us trapped in our sin. The most incredibly, exceptionally important thing in human history happened when Jesus was born. Because God became flesh. And that he began, um, sorry, he, he stepped into humanity basically continuing the promise that he made way back in creation. In the Garden of Eden, God promised that this sin that has now come into the world is going to be dealt with. And it's that exceptional event of the birth of Jesus is what our joy hinges on. Right. Then the big idea that I want us to kind of unpack as we look at this a little bit closer together is this, is the subject of our joy is Jesus. Now, I know that is a Sunday school big idea. (laughs) 
Okay, every little kid, when you say, where's your joy supposed to come from, Timmy? Jesus. Okay, we all know this in our heads. But why is it? It gets so hard to make it a reality in our daily life. That's what I want us to kind of explore together today. And I want to explore it by looking at um, a very familiar passage. We read a little bit, uh, we heard a little bit about it um, in the Advent candle reading. Is I want to look at this text from uh, Luke chapter 2, looking at the shepherds who came to see the newborn Jesus. And we'll look at them and then we'll jump back to here to Romans 15 and we'll unpack this. And how does this, how does this play out in our lives? How do, how do we truly make the subject of our joy Jesus? So let me just read here uh, Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse 8. And I don't know what it is. Every time I read this passage, I want to read it in the voice of Linus from the Charlie Brown Christmas story. So I'm going to try my best to not read it with that voice. Lights, please. I just, it's just because I've heard this so often. It's so familiar. But let's look at this here, starting in verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Then the angels, well, sorry, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So we have this great host of angels showing up to shepherds. And, and, you know, we talk about this so often at Christmas time. We talk about this so often in our Christian circles, th- these lowly shepherds, right? They're not the elite. They're not the religious leaders. It's not the king. It's not the top politicians. It's not the big business leaders. It's not the most important people in, in Jerusalem that is getting this or in Bethlehem that's getting this information, right? It's the lowest of the low, It's the people who are respected. They are respected culturally because King David was a shepherd. God uh, is referred to as a shepherd. And so there is a respect of shepherds in name, but not so much a respect of shepherds in action. You see, because shepherds are dirty. And because they're dirty... 
They cannot worship with us. Well, not us, but the Jewish people. (laughs) They can't come in and share a meal because they had this thing called cleanliness, which was a really big deal in their culture. So you, if you didn't wash properly, if you were handling these animals, it's like, you know, eh, you, you can't be here with us. You couldn't go to temple when the services were going on in the temple because you were too busy taking care and making sure all the sheep would stay alive. So you couldn't even go to church. And so because you didn't go to worship, oh, you didn't go to church this week. You didn't go to temple this week. You didn't go to this this week. So they're respected in word, but not so much respected in deed. And God shows up. The angels, the hosts show up, and they bring this great news that is for some people. It's for the religious people. It's a great news for a tiny little select few. No, the angels declare great joy for all people. You see, because all humanity is equal in our sin. All of us. There is no one better than anybody else on the entire planet when you measure ourselves to God. We're all equal. And so this message of a Messiah being born to a virgin in Bethlehem is great joy for everybody. This is good news. Right, the angels implore two titles here. It's, it's the Christ. It's the Messiah. It's emphasizing Jesus's anointing as God's promised servant. Right, he's referred, referred to as he is the Lord. Right, emphasizing his sovereign authority. And this is exactly what the shepherds and what the people of Israel have been waiting and longing for, was for this Messiah to come. So these shepherds, these lowly shepherds, these people who are respected in word, but not so much respected in deed, they run off, they see, and they find Jesus lying in a manger. And I love their response. You see, their response in verse 20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Glorifying and praising God is their response to seeing Jesus. You see, and what I find so fascinating about verse 20 here is that nothing about the situation of the shepherds has changed. They're still shepherds. They're still lowly shepherds. They're still going to be disrespected by the religious elite. They're still going to be rejected by their community. Their situation has not changed in any way whatsoever. The only thing that has changed is they've seen the Christ. 
they've been in the presence of the Messiah, the source of their joy is Jesus. And their response is to glorify him and to praise him. See, something weird happened in church history, and you can study it. It's a fascinating, fascinating thing to study. Somehow in church history, we went back to rules and regulations in order to please God. I've shared this hundreds and hundreds of times. It's, it's how I grew up. I, was, I grew up in a religious school environment that told me God doesn't like you because you don't behave, because you don't obey. You don't keep the rules the way you're supposed to keep the rules. Somehow we take this message that pure and complete and total joy is available for all people because our sin is dealt with and we turned it into a message again of who is welcome and who is not because there's this sinful thing in us that just want to be better than everybody else (laughs) we like being able to compare ourselves to the church down the road Every time I go to a pastor's conference, say, hey, what church do you serve at? And I say, what church? Oh, how big's your church? It's question number two all the time. Why do we care how big our churches are? Because we just want to know how we're doing. All the work and all the effort and everything, is it paying off? Is my ministry as big as that ministry? Is that thing? Like, there's just something in us. But the source of our joy The response of our lives to just glorify God is not about anything we receive apart from our salvation. That's what I'm trying to get there more and more and more in my life. If I get nothing that this world has to offer, but on my deathbed, I close my eyes and then I open up my eyes and I'm in God's glory, then I've received everything that matters. Everything that matters. The source of my joy needs to be Jesus. Right? Jesus says these words in John chapter 15. He says to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be filled maybe full, right? So let's look at just quickly here in Romans chapter 15. What are some of the things that Paul addresses here in Romans 15 that can help us in this to experience, to focus on the salvation that we've received from Christ so that that is the source of our joy, okay? Just, uh, what do I got? One, two, three quick little things here I just want to share with you to conclude our time together. The first thing here that I want us to look at is when we read Romans 15, what we see is we see one mind and one voice bringing praise. One mind and one voice bringing praise. And we can see this here in chapter 15, verse 6, where Paul writes, So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that verse, for me, echoes Luke chapter 2, verse 20. 
When the shepherds have seen Jesus, their response, their situation had not changed, but their response is to glorify and praise God in heaven. And that's this call that Paul brings to the church. He says, with one mind and one voice, glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us of our unity. He reminds us of the relationship that we have with one another. The huge, huge importance that unity plays in the body of Christ is a reminder here. One mind and with one voice, we will praise the Lord. That we will glorify and lift up the name of Jesus. And we've talked about this a lot over the last 20 months. That we are seeing a lot of division in the body of Christ over issues that have nothing to do with our salvation in Jesus. And we're seeing, I don't know if you see it, I see it on my social media. It got so bad on my Facebook page that I had to delete 1,200 people from Facebook. And people are like, Kevin, that's crazy. How are you going to have an influence on them? And it's like, they're just having too much of a negative influence on me. It was just getting so toxic of Christian attacking Christian, pastor attacking pastor, and calling out stuff that have nothing to do with our salvation, using horrible words to describe brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus actually speaks about that. Jesus says, if you ever call another believer Raka, you are in danger of the fire of hell. There's something wrong with your heart when you can look at another Christian and say, I want nothing to do with you. See, unity is crucial. In fact, and we've talked about this a little bit before too, in this season that we're living in as Christians over the last 20 months, you know, experts who study culture are seeing something, something called the great reshuffling, where Christians are leaving churches not based on their theology, but based on their ideology, on how they respond to cultural things. And I, I don't have a problem with that. I actually think that's okay. If you connect with a church because you really value how they're doing ministry and how they're living out their faith, I think that's a great thing. The challenge, the challenge is um, make sure if, when people do that, um, you leave your church well. And actually, one of the things that we're actually introducing in our membership process, because of this great reshuffling, if people want to become a member at our church, if you have not left your church well, I will not let you become a member here. That's how serious God takes unity. Leave well. Nothing wrong with that. See, we should look different than the world. We should be of one mind and of one voice when it comes to the praise and worship of God. It's a big deal. It's an important thing, right? Because we are reminded that ultimately we're united in our worship of Jesus, right? And so that's what we, so we have to kind of keep that in mind. You want to experience, want to make uh, uh, Jesus the center and source of your joy, Kind of be praising him with one mind and one voice. The second thing is to praise that you are accepted. 
prays that you are accepted. Verse 7 here in Romans 15 uh, continues where Paul writes, accept one another. So again, there is that unity thing at play. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. See, I share this a lot too. Uh, I'm... I love it when kids come to faith in Jesus. And I love hearing people's uh, faith stories where they've just always known Jesus and they've been walking with Jesus their whole life. I, I love that. And, and I'm envious of that. I wish that was my story. But um, because it's not my story, because I came to faith as an adult, I know what I was saved from. I mean, my college life looks radically different than my kid's college life. I mean, I was basically drunk and passed out in a, in a ditch every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and some Sunday mornings. That was my life. So I know directly what God did for me. So it makes it easier to praise God when you know what you've been saved from, when you know how God has done something and stepped into your life, it makes it a lot easier to praise him. And so one, I, that's what I love about this verse is in verse 7 is that Christ accepts you. You see, the reason we come and we praise God together in a church setting like this on a Sunday morning is because we gather together as those um, who've been accepted. And we've been accepted not because of what we've done, but we're accepted because of what Jesus did. That he left heaven, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he pointed people back to the way of God, to the kingdom of God. He did all these miracles to prove his divinity. And then he allowed sinful men to beat him and to nail him to a cross and execute him. And God's full wrath against sin, that thing that united all of humanity as fully equal in our sin, that wrath that God has against sin, instead of it falling on us, it fell on Jesus. And then we receive the full benefit of that punishment that you and I are not punished. And that brings joy that I'm fully accepted. You are fully accepted by God, not by anything that you do, but by simply believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead to pay for your sin. And if you've never accepted that in your own life, you can do that today, just real easily, just by praying a simple prayer in your own heart. God, thank you that I'm accepted by you. Come into my life and make me new. And if you pray that here in the room, tell me after the service. If you pray that at Greenbelt Online, put that in the chat. A little pop-up shows up. We would love to connect with all of you who pray that prayer today. And so we praise God because we're accepted. And then finally, in uh, the third thing, to help make Jesus the source of our joy, is that we are reminded to praise regardless of the circumstances. See, what I love about this passage here in verse 15, when Paul quotes 
a whole bunch of verses from the Old Testament. See, Paul's using this as a, as a lesson to show the importance of unity, that the Jews and the Gentiles are one people, that they have one faith, one mind, one Savior. They're all come together. But when you actually go and you study each of these verses in their original context, you get a little bit of a history lesson here of the people of Israel from these short verses. You, you'll read about the good times of the people of Israel. You'll read about the bad times. You'll read about the difficult times. You'll read about the times in exile. you read about this massive history that played out. And the praise is never about the circumstance. The praise is always about the one who is praiseworthy, about God, about the Lord, right? And so this is what we see happening in this passage here. And this is why this for me is this reminder to check my heart, to check my heart. My situation around me may never change, but do I approach praise simply based on the salvation that I have received? Because honestly, if I did, I'd be really, really honest, really transparent. If I were to truly praise God simply on the salvation that I received, I probably wouldn't stand over there in my chair like this. And then maybe do this. And if no one's looking, maybe do this. And if really nobody's looking, maybe wipe a tear away. If I were to truly praise God for the salvation that I've received, I should be jumping up and down, kicking and screaming, fist pumping, going, nothing I did. Nothing. And I get to go to heaven. I was a sinner. (laughs) And God loved me and chose me and came into my life. And it should cause me skipping and dancing through the mall while I'm shopping for presents. It should change everything. So this Christmas season, let's just focus on that when you're shopping, when you're putting up your decorations, when you're prepping for the holiday season, and maybe on your Google Home or or on your Alexis or, or maybe on your old Tape deck. I don't know what, how you listen to music. I just, you know, eight track. Anyone still have eight track? Maybe some people do, right? And when you hear those Christmas, excuse me, Christmas songs come up, oh come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, praise God for that. When you hear oh holy night, sing sweet hymns of joy, joy to the world. Hark the herald angels sing, joyful all ye nations rise, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. If you want to experience more of the joy of the Lord, spend way more time reflecting on your salvation. Whether you were saved today, whether you were saved 80 years ago, Jesus is the source of our joy. Let's worship and pray. Heavenly Father, We praise you and thank you for sending the source of our joy, Jesus, who's willing to die for my sin, for our sin. And so, Lord, um, 
Forgive us for the times when we've put our joy focused on something other than Jesus. Forgive me for when I've put my focus for my joy on something other than Jesus. And as in my family, it's about to really ramp up this week prepping for Christmas. God, fill my heart with joy and reflecting on the salvation that I have received. And because I have been in the presence of the Messiah, in the presence of God, in, among his people, in his church, make that the source of my joy. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what's under the tree, regardless of how my family react around me, make my joy complete because of that great gift that you gave all of us 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born.